So as we prepare for a uh, Christmas message, where would be the most natural place to start in our Bibles? Genesis is correct, Steve. <clears throat> it all starts in Genesis, right? Everything starts in Genesis. Adam and Eve walked joyfully and peacefully through the garden that they had been made in. They enjoyed the sights and sounds, the smells and surroundings. Everything brought exhilaration. And they realized that all of this was made for their enjoyment, their pleasure. And they were fully alive. But what brought the realization of their joy more than anything was the fact that He was there. He walked with them. He shared life with them through sweet fellowship as they walked through that garden in the cool of the day. God Himself, who had made and formed them and the garden that they walked through, God Himself, who had spoken the universe into existence out of nothing, chose to walk with them and enjoy them as they enjoyed His creation and His presence. He was with them. He was for them. He was pleased to dwell with them. Now, fast forward 65 books of the Bible and at least 6,000 years, at least, from that historical account of God walking with Adam and Eve and we have a proclamation in the book of Revelation, the revelation that John received on the Isle of Patmos and we see that something strangely similar is happening in the last book of the Bible that was happening in the first book of the Bible. Something strangely similar is happening at the end that was happening at the beginning. Let me read Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 4. This is what John records. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Here, at the end, we see God dwelling with man again. The proclamation was that He will dwell with them, for the former things have passed away. So the end of the story is just like the beginning of the story. But what happened in the middle that this had to happen? What happened in the middle that made this possible? At least two things happened. One is what is described in the book of Romans, particularly our passage for today, which is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. The second thing that happened was what we celebrate at Advent and Christmas time. And we'll look at both occurrences today and see how they correspond to each other and how they affect us and how they should affect our celebration of Christmas and our appreciation of salvation. So, before we dig into our text today, is that working? Yes, it is. I want to go back through quickly where we've been to this point in the book of Romans. We've been through two points of our six-point outline, and we come today to point three. And this stuff here gets pretty good. It's awfully good. <coughs> our, our point today that we start is blessings, the results of being right with God. In chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 20, we saw sin, the need for being right with God. In that section, we saw that all, immoral and moral, Jew and Gentile, were bound up under sin. No exceptions, no caveats. Every member of Adam's race is in captivity to sin. How many? All, every. 100%. 
maybe. We are all sinners who share the inheritance that comes from Adam and Eve, choosing to transgress God's commandments. So that's one of the things that happened in between Genesis 1 and Revelation 21. The fall happened. Sin happened. And that's really, really, really bad news. Adam and Eve broke fellowship with God when they listened to the serpent and did what God told them not to do. And Romans 1.1 through 3.20 makes it clear that we all taste the fruit of their disobedience. We're born sinners, every single one of us. And as such, we are born out of fellowship with God. We are all born not in right standing with God, every one of us. So if you were born out of fellowship with God, I want you to raise your hand. Everybody in this room was born out of fellowship with God. Every single one of us. So the fall happened. Then we saw point two, which started in Romans 3.21 and ran through 4.25. And in that point we saw that God made a way to be right with Him and that way is justification by faith apart from works. We talked about the process that we called... Anybody remember? I need a longer arm or something. Anybody remember this? You thought Jacob and Ellen would be mad? Asian station? This is not new material, folks. This is... <laughs> give me the deer in the head like, what is that? When we talked about justification by faith alone, we talked about these Asians that God took us through in the process. First was expiation. And expiation is God removing the guilt of our sins from us. He took our, our guilt away. Propitiation was God removing the wrath against our sin away from Him. Expiation, our guilt away. Propitiation, God's wrath turned away from us. Imputation was God giving us Christ's righteousness, the very righteousness of Christ. And that led us to justification, which means that we are in right standing. We now have right fellowship with God. We are declared righteous by God Himself through faith alone, which brings us to the process, the standing, and the ultimate fulfillment of salvation. Expiation, propitiation, imputation, justification, salvation. We went station to find out what it means to be right with God by faith in Christ alone. All of this came about by faith, we looked at two weeks ago, so that it all might rest on grace. And that's important. We're going to see that today too. So that brings us to our passage today, which is Romans 5, verses 1 through 2. And it's the very front door of the third point of our outline. This is getting on my nerves. There we go. <coughs> Excuse me. And that point of the outline is blessings, the results of being right with God. We'll, we'll go through the end of chapter 8 in this point of the outline. Not today. <laughs> Just two verses today with a little bit more thrown in. So we're going to dig in. Now remember that we're looking for what happened between Adam and Eve dwelling with God and John's vision and revelation where it was declared that the dwelling place of God is with man. And along the way, we'll see just how Christmas and Advent figures into all of this as well. So, here we go. If you would, please stand with us as we read the Bible, as we read the very words of God. We stand up out of respect for the Word of God and for the God of the Word. Matter of fact, if we can, let's all read this together out loud. Get it on our lips. Uh, we'll start right now. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we ask You to do what only You can do. Give light to our eyes, give light to our hearts, give light to our minds so that we can see the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of what you have to say to us and for us this morning through this amazing Word. 
Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your Spirit who is our teacher. Thank you for the people of God. And we ask your blessing upon it now, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> okay. We're going to go through the two verses and talk about what they mean. And then we're going to come back and wrap Christmas into it perfectly. That's what I've been amazed at this morning. Now, I will be giving you a handout at one point. Are there pins in this place? Do we have pins? Is that... I think it seems like there's a basket full of pins somewhere. Hey, that's awful close to it. As many people as can have a pen, maybe one to a group, whatever, you're going to get a handout, and I want to show you something. If you can just pass them around, work it out. <clears throat> if you got a pen, hoist it, have it, so that you'll have it ready when we get to the point that you need it, which will be almost at the end of the message. So when I tell you to get ready for your pens, you can say, oh, we're almost done, right? Yes. Okay, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's the first word of this sentence? Therefore. When you see a therefore in Scripture, you should ask what question? What's it there for? So therefore, what is that therefore? Therefore. Here, Paul is referring to the previous thought pattern presented in 321 through 425, where he explained that we are justified which means to be made right with, okay, we're justified by faith alone. Now remember too, and I guess most of you all probably know this, maybe you don't, the original copies of the Scriptures didn't have chapters and verses in them. Paul was writing a letter to a group of people, and he didn't sit and go, okay, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle. He just started writing a letter. These chapter and verse headings were added later on for our convenience so that we could reference it easier. I'm glad they're there, and sometimes they drive me plumb crazy. Because what happens is, we see the big number 5 sticking up there, and our mind puts a division point. Our mind says, oh, something new's going on. Well, yes and no. Therefore is there to remind us that this is linked to the previous passage. And if you don't have the previous passage in mind, it's going to be hard to understand this passage. So therefore... Linking back to our previous thought about being justified by faith alone. Therefore, here he is saying, since we've seen all that we've seen, what have we seen? That we have been justified by faith. And that simply means that we have the right to stand in God's presence. We have the proper pronouncement from Him personally to fellowship with Him. We're declared righteous by God Himself and are declared so based solely on our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not works of the law. It's not being Jewish as a practice of religious duty. It's not circumcision, but faith alone, in Christ alone, all based on the grace of God alone. <clears throat> Again, we saw two weeks ago that everything is by faith so that it might rest on grace. And what is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. You did nothing to deserve it. If you did anything to deserve it, it's not grace anymore. So this justification by faith alone is because of grace alone. No other reason than God showing you unmerited favor that you do not deserve. So we can rejoice in being right with God, but we need to remember that we can rejoice in being right with God because God made it so. It was God's choice. It was God's purposes. Not your effort. <clears throat> Not your earning it. <clears throat> and again, we talked a little bit about Martin Luther and the other reformers fought for this thought when they laid out their five solas. Anybody know the five solas of the Reformation? <clears throat> Does that look familiar to anybody? <clears throat> sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. The Bible alone is our highest authority. Sola Fide, which is faith alone. We're saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Sola Gratia, grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. Soli Deo Gloria, which sounds like a Christmas song, doesn't it? <clears throat> to the glory of God alone. We live for the glory of God alone. These are the five solas of the Reformation. 
And this passage that we're talking about today embodies all of this. And we have to understand that is that it is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, on the authority of Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. That's really, really important to grasp, or I wouldn't have put it up there. The five solas. <clears throat> it's all for the glory of God. Now more on that later. So therefore, Paul says, since we have been justified by faith, now this leads us to assume that he's going to show us the consequences or the rewards of being justified by faith. I want you to see that sentence structure again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since this, then that. I want you to get that thought pattern in your head. Since this, then that. <clears throat> since we are declared righteous by God, since we have right standing with God, since by faith we have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, remember imputation, then what? Since you have that, then what? Since you have poison ivy, then what? You itch. Since you drank coffee at 10 o'clock, you ain't going to go to sleep. There are rewards. There are consequences to your actions. There are rewards to being justified by faith. Since we have been justified by faith, then what? I promise you, you don't understand fully what the rewards of justification by faith are. I promise you. You don't get it. I don't get it. We don't get it. But we're going to try to jump on it and see what we can see. It's so good, so powerful, so amazing. Since we are justified by faith, then what? What's it say? We have what? Well, not just peace. We have what? Read it. We have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. I am terribly afraid that we are underwhelmed by this truth. I am terribly afraid we yawn at this and say, yeah, we, we have peace with God. And we don't understand how amazing it is to have peace with God. Remember back in our intro, how Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day? That's peace with God. Peace is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling, I feel good about God, God feels good about me. No, no, there's something much deeper, much stronger than that. Walking with God in the cool of the day, but that didn't last long, did it? Adam and Eve sinned. And we say that rather glibly too. But it's a huge deal. Well, they ate a piece of fruit. No, they did much more than that. What they did was they committed cosmic treason against a holy God who had created them. And they go, okay. <clears throat> it was a huge deal. These first humans who had only ever enjoyed perfect fellowship with God rebelled against Him and chose their own path, which amounted to open treason against their Maker. They were now rebels and could not stay in communion with God. Why? Because He is holy. He cannot stand to be in the presence of sin or sinners. They were no longer at peace with God. Nor would any of their descendants be. And that includes you and me. And that was Paul's point in chapters 1 through 3. We're all bound up under sin, every single one of us. Now listen, and as such, before justification, we are not at peace with God. And if we're not at peace with God, what is our standing with God? What's the opposite of peace? War. We are at enmity with God before justification. Listen, we are God's enemies. You say, I'm not. Yeah. Before justification, Scripture says that you are at enmity with God. 
You say, well, I don't feel like I'm at enmity with God. Listen, here's what I'm trying to communicate to you. God is at war with you. Even though you may not feel like openly you are at war with Him. Why is He at war with you? Because you are a rebel. You say, well, I don't feel like that. I'm going to give you a small illustration of this. When I was in high school, somebody was spitting loogies on my windshield. Nasty loogies on my windshield. And I'm talking to these people. I'm like, somebody is spitting on my windshield. And I'm like, I don't know who it is. And somebody said, I bet it's so-and-so. And I thought, what? And that person was inconsequential to me. I didn't care about them. I didn't think about them. I didn't say anything to them. It's not like we, you know, we're bumping shoulders in the hallway when we walk past each other. I never saw them. But they said, yeah, that person hates you. Really? And I'm thinking, oh, I'm pretty cool. You know, why would he hate me? Oh, it's a boy. Okay, I gave that away. I don't think y'all know anybody that went to school with me except my wife. So what my wife, my wife was not spitting loogies on my windshield at school. <clears throat> This person was at war with me, so to speak, even though I didn't feel like I was at war with them. This person was angry with me. Maybe it was something I said back in elementary school. I don't know. But I didn't have to feel like I was at enmity with them for them to be at enmity with me. And what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning is, if you are lost, if you haven't trusted Christ by faith alone for your justification, God is at war with you. You are a rebel. And that's awful. That's sad. That's scary. Before justification, we are not at peace with God. We are at enmity with Him. We are His enemies. But we're all God's children, right? We'll get to that in a second. God loves everybody, right? Anybody watch college football? Lee Corso? What would Lee Corso say? Not so fast, my friend. That's what Lee Corso would say here. We're all God's children. God loves everybody. Not so fast, my friend. Listen to the biblical account of fallen man and his standing with God. I think I put this up here. After the solas. <clears throat> Psalm 7, verses 11 through 13. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Click. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Now let me read that again. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Now does that sound like somebody that God just thinks is okay and everybody's alright and God loves us all and kumbaya, let's all just come hang out with God because He loves us all. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. <clears throat> Let me read you a New Testament passage. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you, before your justification, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now watch this. Among whom we all once lived... How many? all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We all were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Who's wrath? Osama bin Laden's? Hitler's? The devils? We were all by nature children of the wrath of God. Like the rest of mankind.
whether you felt it or believe it or not, when you were or if you are an unbeliever, God is at war with you. Merry Christmas. You are or were His enemy. And what is reserved for you, what you are living under, is the wrath of God. Right now, that wrath looks like God letting you go your own way, like we saw in Romans 1. But in the future, in the day of judgment, that wrath will be poured out on unbelievers in the form of eternal punishment in hell which is a real place where the wrath of God is poured out upon His enemies for eternity, where the fire is not quenched and the worm dies not, according to Jesus. You're like, great day. Where's the good news in this message? Because that is horrible news. It's horrible. It's as bad as you can imagine it and worse. Before being justified by faith, you were God's enemy. And if you're not justified by faith this morning, you are God's enemy. You say, well, I don't believe it. Maybe that's the problem. We are by nature God's enemies, children of wrath, and He is angry with the wicked every day. And add to that the fact the Bible says that the unbeliever is held captive by the devil to do his will. And you'll see that before salvation, a person is both the enemy of God and the captive of the devil. Which means that he's doubly doomed. His real master, God, is angry with them, And his temporary master, Satan, has... One, one thing in mind, it's to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's the master that you're serving and the wrath that awaits you. He's the enemy of God and His master means to steal, kill, and destroy Him. Now, look at peace with God through those lenses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. The one who was our enemy is now our Father. The one who was to pour out His wrath on us has instead given us the gift of fellowship with Him forever. The one who was angry with us is now pleased with us. Because of something we did? No. But something did happen. What happened to make us move from the camp of the enemy into the very throne room of God as a child of God? Let me tell you what happened. It's really good news. Galatians 4, 4-7 through 7 happened. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what happened to change our status from enemy to son? Redemption happened. Adoption happened. God, in His grace, redeemed us from sin, redeemed us from our bondage to the law, and from our bondage to the devil. And not only that, He didn't just set us free and say, go enjoy your freedom. He said, now I'm going to adopt you as my child into my family. So we went from enemy of God to child of God. Do you see the miraculous grace of that? Do you see the amazing wonder of having peace with God? 
Not only did He remove His wrath from us, He gave us an inheritance as the very children of God. We are now, Scripture says, co-heirs with Christ. We who were far off were brought near and given what we could never earn and we were given it as a free gift of grace. And as such, we are at peace with God. Oh, how we need to breathe that in. And we need to understand the depths of it. And you know what? As good as that is, that's not the best part. Through Him, which is Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we've seen that we were justified by faith in Jesus Christ and that we have peace with God. Then we see here that through Him, through Jesus, we have some other things too. First, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now what does that mean? That's a lot of clauses, a lot of prepositions there, right? We saw that faith was the means of our justification. Faith apart from works of the law. But here we see that the same faith that brought our justification grants us something even better. Access into this grace in which we stand. Now it's great to know that you're right with God. It's great to know that you have peace with God. But how do we stay right with God? Anybody ever been tripped up by that? Anybody ever been made right with God and then felt later like you weren't right with God because of something you did, something you said, something you felt, something you stole, something you ran away from? Well, I couldn't be right with God anymore. How do we stay right with God? And that's what grace does here. It helps us, it enables us to stand. It was grace that saved you and it is grace that will keep you saved. Can you imagine the peace that would come from knowing that what God started by grace, He will sustain by the same grace? Oh Christian, know that your staying saved is just as much a work of grace as your being saved. Anybody ever heard the song Amazing Grace? Two of you? There's a line in it that says this, "'Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and I'll grab myself by my bootstraps and keep going as a result of it. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and if I grin and bear it and try real hard, I'll stay safe for the rest of my life. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and I really hope to make it home one day. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will... Grace will lead me home. I want you this morning, Christian, to rejoice in that. Your justification, your peace with God, your staying saved is by means of God's grace. And we have obtained access into this grace in which we stand by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is His doing. It is His power, His grace that enables you to stand. Rest in that. Quit worrying about, oh my goodness, did I say something or do something that disqualified me? Grace saved you and now it's grace that you stand in and it's grace that will enable you to stand until you see Jesus face to face. But wait, there's more. We have one more blessing that is the end-all, be-all of blessings. You see it? Anything up there look particularly fond to you? No? Okay. Let me clue you in. The end-all, be-all blessing that I'm talking about is contained in the phrase, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now we've seen that we have peace with God. We've seen that that peace will be sustained and maintained as we stand in and by grace, which is God's unmerited favor, God's power working in us and through us. 
And now we do what? We rejoice. Now what does it mean to rejoice? Let's say I've got joy. What if I feel joy again? Is that rejoy? Huh? Literally, rejoice means to feel joy over and over and over again and just to express that joy over and over. And I'm joyous. I'm rejoicing because I feel it again and I see it again and something happened again to remind me again that there's joy in my life. Rejoice. Rejoice or feel and express joy over and over in what? In hope of the glory of God. Now, in this phrase lies the very purpose of our existence here and into and throughout eternity. Listen, go to a bookstore, go online, go to Amazon and type in self-help books. What those books are going to do, they're going to try to help you find your purpose in life. And they're going to try to give you a three-point outline or so that's going to tell you how you can find that purpose and accomplish that purpose. What I'm going to do here this morning, it's still morning, is explain to you what the purpose of your life is. And I'm going to tell you how you will achieve that purpose. I don't care who you are, what state you are with God even, at war with them or at peace with them. You were created for one purpose. You were created to glorify God. That's why you were created. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, which means that they were to show the world what God looked like. Not physically, not with a nose and a beard and stuff like that. They were to show the world. They were to show angels and principalities, this is how God acts. This is what God looks like in His dealings. And this morning, you were created to glorify God. You were made in the image of God. That's why sin, being cosmic rebellion, is such a tragedy. Because you were made to do one thing and you're not doing the very thing that you were made to do. I can use a screwdriver to drive a nail, but that's not the point of a screwdriver. And I'm probably not going to do real good with it. Have you ever done that? Yeah. Have you ever tried to use your hand? Don't do that either. You were created. You were designed to glorify God. God's glory is the whole reason you live and breathe. It is God's design that human beings would live in such a way that people see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. God wants to manifest Himself through us. But when Adam and Eve sinned, not only did they forfeit fellowship with God, they tarnished the image that they had been made in, namely God's very own image. So with the fall came the tragedy of mankind taking on their own agenda, taking on their own image, their own glory. But God's plan included redeeming us so that we can image Him forth not only as made in His image, but reborn to a living hope, being conformed to the image of His Son. And when this happens, God gets the glory that is due to Him. Now, our part, as seen in this verse, is that we have a hope of the glory of God that we rejoice in. Listen, Christian. You want joy and peace and power in a life that is truly superfluous, overflowing, too much to contain in yourself that has to overflow onto others? Because Jesus said, I come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And that means too much life for you to contain. It has to pour on somebody else. Is that something that you want? Then understand what this hope is. First of all, biblical hope is not like normal human hope. I can say, being a hopelessly devoted Redskins fan, I hope that the Redskins win today. Zip it, Sam. Right? Now, how likely are the chances of me being disappointed in that hope? You don't have to say anything. That's a rhetorical question. Actually, the chances of me being disappointed in that hope are pretty good. And what's even more frustrating is that there's nothing I can do about it. 
What can I do to make the Redskins win? Now, back in my younger days, I really thought like how I sat on the couch helped them succeed. Oh, don't laugh at me. 1992, they were in the Super Bowl playing the Buffalo Bills, and I found a position on the couch that was similar to this. And as long as I stayed like this, guess what? They were winning. So guess who didn't move for three and a half hours? That would have been me. Now, I had a friend that was with me. He understood all this. He got it. And so somebody would say, hey, would you go get me something? He'd go get it for me. So I didn't have to move and break my lucky stance. I can hope that the Redskins win today. But there's nothing I can do to bring that about. Now, what kind of hope is that? Now, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But the Bible says our hope is something totally different than hoping that the Redskins win. That's a good thing, by the way. That's a super, super good news because our faith is not in the Redskins. So when God desired, Hebrews 6, 17 through 20, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise that unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now let's just strike the Melchizedek thing. We're not going there today. But you want to talk about a lucky position. Well, where did we go? We entered into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. And our hope, it said back here, is an anchor of the soul. That's a little bit different than hoping that the Redskins might win, right? An anchor for the soul. Here we see hope as an anchor for our souls. Hope is sure and real and as trustworthy as Jesus Himself and the work that He has completed behind that veil. That's the kind of hope that we're talking about here. Now Paul will say later here in Romans 5 that hope does not put us to shame. Some other versions say that hope does not disappoint. And I said all that to say I want you to know that biblical hope is sure. It's not something that might work out in the end if we keep our lucky position. Biblical hope is as sure as the finished work of Christ. And we have this hope. And what is our hope in? What did it say? The glory of God. Since we have been justified by faith, since we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, since we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, we rejoice in the sure fire hope that God's glory will be seen, God's glory will be known, God's glory will be shown. And how will that happen? It's going to happen through us, Christians. Through us. And that is what we rejoice in. I will be. We will be the medium that God uses to show His glory most brilliantly through for all eternity. Remember the Ephesians 3 passage? It's been a few weeks ago. That God has chosen through the church to manifest His manifold wisdom to the rulers and principalities that He holds us up as His masterpiece? Anybody remember that? That's the hope that is sure that we have. God's glory is going to be displayed and it's going to be best displayed through His people. And we can rejoice in that hope. That is what we rejoice in. This thought, this hope causes us to rejoice as we look back at what God has done as we see what He is doing, and as we look forward to what He will surely do because He has said so and because we know it is His will. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So when things get tough, 
When the doctor says cancer, when your loved one dies, when you get an F on your report card, when you start to question, I don't know if God can come through in this instance or not. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, knowing that God, who cannot lie, who cannot fail, has promised us that He will come through for His glory's sake. Now, I want to take a few minutes before we finish up and look at how amazingly, awesomely this ties in with Advent season and our celebration of the Christmas holiday and see how it all ties in with our beginning narrative from Adam and Eve all the way to Revelation. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 2. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Luke 2. You might have heard it a couple times already this Advent season, this Christmas season. It's so famous, Linus used it to explain to Charlie Brown what the true meaning of Christmas is, right? I know what the true meaning of Christmas is, Charlie Brown. Can you believe that thing's been out for 50 years, by the way? And that they're censoring it in schools now because it's just too biblical? It's the world we live in. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here in Luke 2, we find out what has become probably the most used passage of Scripture to give us details of Jesus' birth. Look at verses 8 through 14. And what we see in 8 through 14 is the account of the shepherds that we're very familiar with and what happens to them. Let's read it. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is what? Pleased. Now that's a familiar passage. It's fun to read. We imagine shepherds out in their pasture at night and seeing the angel of the Lord and then a multitude of the heavenly host being seen and heard. But look at what they said. Look at what these angels said. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then skip down to the praising group of angels. Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom He is Please. Can I get somebody to pass these around? They're all the same. Some look longer than others, but they're the same. What I want you to do as you get these and get your pins out that you got. <coughs> Remember I said that's almost the end of the message, so rejoice and hope of the end of the message. If we've got enough for everybody, I think we should. I want to point out something on this sheet. I want you to see something on this sheet. What I've done on this sheet is I've put Romans 5, 1 and 2, and underneath that I've put Luke 2, 8 through 14. And I want you to see something. I want you to see the similarity in what's being proclaimed in these two passages. If you would, 
with your pen. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified, I want you to circle we have been justified. Then I want you to skip down to Luke 2, 14, the very end. And I want you to circle with whom He is pleased. Because those things correspond to one another. We have been justified with whom He is well pleased. That's justification, okay? Through justification, God has made us pleasing to Himself. Now, chapter 5, verse 1 of Romans, the next clause, we have peace with God. Circle or do something with peace to make it different. It's triangle, underline, something. Then go down toward the end of verse 14 in Luke 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Peace. So you got peace and peace. We've got justified and Him being well pleased, and we've got peace, and we've got peace. And we have peace with God in chapter 5, verse 1, through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 2, 11, we see a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So Mark, Lord Jesus Christ, and Savior who is Christ the Lord the same. And know that they correspond to one another, the same person. And then verse 2 of chapter 5 of Romans, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice... You look at Luke 2.10, they said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great what? Joy. So rejoice and joy correspond to one another. And in 5.2, we rejoice in what? In the hope of the glory of God. And if you look at Luke 2.9, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. In Luke 2.14, the beginning of the angel chorus is glory to God in the highest. So we have, we have been justified with whom He is well pleased, or with whom He is pleased. We have peace in, Matthew, in, in Romans chapter 5 and in Luke 2. We have the Lord Jesus Christ in Romans 5. We've got the Savior who is Christ the Lord in Luke 2. We've got rejoicing in Romans 5, 2. And we've got joy in Luke 2, 10. We've got glory of God in Romans 5.2, and we've got glory in Luke 2.9 and in Luke 2.14. You see the similarity here? The angels were announcing something stunning. The angels were proclaiming that God's plan to reestablish communion with humankind was being realized when Jesus was born. Good news of great joy, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God, peace on earth. God is pleased with those on earth again. And who was He pleased with? Those whom He had by grace come to redeem. Now the Net Bible, which is the New English translation, notes that the passage here has this meaning, with whom He is well pleased. The meaning seems to be not that divine peace can be bestowed only where human goodwill is already present, because we've seen already that it is not present, but that at the birth of the Savior, God's peace rests on those whom He has chosen in accord with His good pleasure. God's choosing and His good pleasure equate to God's grace. God, in His grace, is choosing to, be let, is choosing to let His peace rest on those whom He had chosen. And that is exactly what our passage in Romans today has said and what others have said before. Remember that it all might rest on grace. And what pleases Him in His grace? To grant peace to those who had formerly been enemies. To justify the ungodly by faith in the Savior who was born in the city of David. To now dwell with men in the person of Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. The fellowship that had been broken back in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned could now be reestablished. And how? Through a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And now we who have been justified by faith in that Savior have peace with God. And through Jesus we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Oh, the message of Romans 5, 1 and 2 and the message of the angels to the shepherds is fear not, 
Good news, great joy, a Savior, Christ the Lord, glory to God, rejoice, faith, justification, access, grace, rejoice, hope, glory, glory, glory. And why? Because what was lost in Genesis in the sin of the garden can now assuredly be regained in a sure hope that leads us to Revelation 21. Because He is pleased to dwell with men. Because He is now with us. Because He is now for us. And His glory will most assuredly be displayed clearest and best when we stand before Him blameless and spotless and without any wrinkle or blemish because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Listen, church, and we will walk with Him. And He will walk with us. And all shall be well as in the beginning. God's purpose, God's plan will come to fruition as we see the fulfillment of this great salvation, this great justification, this great plan of God which was put in place before the foundation of the world. And as sure as I am standing here today, if we have trusted in the perfect work of Jesus for our salvation, we will see with our eyes, just like Adam and Eve, we will hear with our ears, just like Adam and Eve, the words of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Peace with God. And we will give Him all the glory as it should be. May it be so today. May it be so at Christmas time and throughout eternity. May we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, knowing that He is here, knowing that He is walking among us, and that He shares sweet fellowship with us as we walk through this world even now. Therefore, since we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Glory to God in the highest. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank You this morning that since I have been justified by faith, I have peace with you through my Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him, I have obtained access by faith into this grace in which I stand. And I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. God, I pray this morning that we would know, those of us who have it, that we would know the blessing of the peace with God that results from justification. And God, if there are those this morning who sit here who do not know that peace, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would convict them of their sins. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would show them the enormity of their sins, the hopelessness of their sins, and that they would turn away from those sins to the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And they would place their faith in Him and thus be justified and have peace with You. And God, I pray that we would rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, knowing that one day the glory of the Lord will fill the earth just as the 
oceans fill the sea. And we will walk with you. And we will dwell with you forever. And may that peace and that hope assure us and keep us until we see you face to face. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just stand for a benediction. Then we'll go eat. <clears throat> now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all the people of God said, Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you, guys.